2: This is a Rogue Media Network podcast. This is 365 Sports, powered by Sikkim365.com.
1: Yeah, looking forward to it. Can't wait. Uh, Spencer and I are pumped. It's a home game for him. He lives in nearby Sugar Land, and for me, I get to take the wife on a nice little four-hour drive down to Houston, so that's Always good after flying uh, to the West coast last week. And I'm going to be going back there. In fact, uh, next week I've got big 10 Friday night lights and I've got Saturday night pack 12 after dark again with uh, USC and Arizona state in the desert. So Spence and I are going to do uh, let's play two next week. Uh, one on FS one and, and one on Fox, uh, the late night tilt, the, uh, Central time start. And you know what? I can't wait to see uh, uh, Dillingham, the new coach at Arizona State. He was with uh, Lanning over at Oregon as his offensive coordinator. Did a great job at Auburn, you might recall. Went with Bo Uh Nix over to Oregon. And uh, I think helped resuscitate Bo Nix's career, really. And uh, I think he's going to do a bang-up job at Arizona State. That's where he's from. Went to school at Chaparral High there really great story to tell on him. He's barely, he he's maybe 31 or two and he looks like he's 21 or 22. So I look forward to seeing him again, but yeah, this, this game, uh, in Houston takes on, um, uh, a, a sort of a winner else mentality, I mm-hmm. think for the credibility of TCU, uh, and, and for the credibility of Dana Holgerson and, and Houston, you know, moving into the big 12. I mean, after after spotting Rice 28 points and losing to a a team that uh, they left the 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 American Conference you know you think about Rice and and where they are and uh I know JT Dan- Daniels is playing on his like 18th team and he's a pretty good quarterback but I don't suspect that they felt like uh, their fan base or uh Tillman Fratita who, who is sort of the T Boone Pickens of Houston football uh, I'm sure they did not take uh that lost too well uh, to rice last week. So this is a big game for Holgerson for Houston as a program. And I think for TCU in a lot of ways, because uh, even though they looked a lot better, it was against nickel state. And that's, that's not enough to get the the horn frog fans back in good favor. So it's a huge game for both.
2: Tim, um, Texas had the tremendous win against Alabama and that wasn't, you know, fluky or anything. it was, They went in and controlled the game at Bryant-Denny Stadium, as you know, maybe the toughest place to win when you're not Alabama in the country. Uh, (laughs) What are your thoughts on what the future for the Longhorns might be?
1: Well, by the way, first, because they're non-conference right now, all right? They'll be an SEC team next year. Fellas, you know the last non-conference loss Alabama ever had in Tuscaloosa? Was it Florida. No, that's a No, no, no. Non-conference. Non-conference. Last non-conference. 2007, University of Louisiana, Monroe. Oh, yeah. Nick Saban's first year. Charlie Weatherby was coaching the Warhawks, and they went in there and got that win in 2007 and they had not lost a non-conference game since. So, yeah, I had to give – Terry Bowden, by the way, is 2-0. Oh, first time that's happened, you know, in Monroe in <laughs> a long time. So, wanted to take care of the alma mater while I was on with you. Well, but, um, they should build that was Charlie, a big, big win for Texas.
2: They should build <laughs> Weatherby's
1: statue next year, Tim. <laughs> <laughs> Let me t- – I tell you what, I hope Bowden gets a, a statue, and I, I think if he can get him to a bowl game, they may build him one. He he certainly deserves it. He's um, – He's doing it right and doing it with the lowest budget in Division One, so I wish him the best. But let me get to Texas because I um, I fell on the sword. If you guys have been keeping up with me, you know I said I was wrong. Yep. And I, I do believe that you have to say that when you miss. And I, I took a swing and a huge miss in calling Texas the Texas A&M of this year. Um, I guess I got caught up in the we're back, we're back, we're back thinking – Uh, They would play as they had played in past big games under Sark, uh, not to the best of their ability. And they played beyond that. And I think that it was no fluke. Uh, They were tossing Alabama's offensive line around like ragdolls. It was incredible to see uh, a Saban coach team out physical that way. And and they really were. I mean, you know, when LSU went in there with Burrow and one, in 2019, uh, they outschemed and outskilled uh, Alabama. Outschemed and outskilled. I didn't think that LSU was physically dominant uh, in that game. I, Texas was physically dominant uh, in this win against Alabama. The score really should have been worse than it was in many respects. So I'm a believer now in the Horns. Now it's up to them now to sustain a level of success. How do you? How do you handle a full cup of success? We'll soon find out because, as you know, the schedule for Texas is going to pick up. They've got four games in the state of Texas, three of those games on the road against teams that have had uh, a lot of success against them in the Big 12 in recent years. I don't need to tell you they're still the number one target for every team in the Big 12 that gets a chance to host them at home.
3: No doubt about it, uh, Tim. And and you got to see uh, another one of the – quote-unquote, top-ranked, uh, top contenders uh, here at least through two weeks uh, out in Los Angeles with uh, USC. And as you mentioned, uh, dispatched uh, Stanford pretty quickly. Mm. Um, but yeah. w- there's a lot of talk about the defense looks improved. Obviously, the offense is is pretty amazing when it's it's, it's hitting full tilt. Uh, what are your thoughts on the Trojans and what you got to see up
1: close? Well, the offense is just an embarrassment of riches. I mean, it. Uh, I don't know that I've seen a better cast of wide receivers and quarterback since that 19 LSU team with Burrow and, you know, Jamar Chase and Jefferson and all those guys that they had on that team that went into Austin and won early in the season. We went on to be an unbeaten uh, and I think um, maybe one of the arguably best uh, national championship teams that we've seen in the modern era of college football. Mm -hmm. USC's got all of that. Uh, from a receiving standpoint. And they've also got two incredible uh, young players on that offense. Zachariah Branch, who's the nephew of of, um, Cliff Branch, is incredible. He's already had a punt return for a touchdown. That was in our game, 75 yards. He took a kickoff back 96 yards uh, in their opener against uh, San Jose State. I mean, he's just – I mean, there are times on some of those special teams he looks like number five. You know, he looks like Reggie Bush and the returns he made against Fresno State that, that night uh, back in, what, I think it was 2005 or 2006. I mean, just an incredible talent. And then defensively, that's again a little bit like Texas. They've improved mightily on the defensive side. That might have been the best defense. Now, granted, Stanford's not that good. They're in transition. Troy Taylor just took the job. He's he's transitioning away from the um West Coast offense of David Shaw's. But uh, they're going to win some games, Stanford. They're, they'll fare well, I think, when they go to the ACC. Uh, their talent pool is not horrible. Emmett Smith's son, uh, EJ, plays for them. And he's, he's good, probably has the future beyond college. But they were uh, they were totally taken out of their game by players like Bear Alexander. This kid is about mm-hmm. 6'1", goes about 3'10", 3'15". And he just uh, occupied two or three people and enabled the linebackers to make plays. And that's another thing. A kid from Manny, Louisiana, uh, Tackett Curtis is a stud outside linebacker, just flies around and makes plays, played on a, division, a, a, a class AA power in Manny, Louisiana, uh, and was a three-time state champion. These, this, this defense is really good. They're not great, but they don't have to be great when you've got an unbelievable offense. Uh, I liken it a little bit to you know the Saints when they won the Super Bowl. When you had the best offense in football, you only had to be the 11th best defense in the NFL to win it all. I, I don't think SC has to be elite on defense. They just need to be better, mm-hmm. and they are a lot better. And I, I think that's true also with Texas. Uh, uh, they missed some shots in that game with Alabama. They did. They, they could have scored more than they did. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see, If USC and Texas, two teams that have, in my opinion, been classic underperformers, you know, in the last handful of years, which one of those teams can sustain success through the course of the year? And the Pac-12 is going to be really hard because that league is so good. Oregon State's really good, vastly underrated. Uh, I love what they're doing. Jonathan Smith's a hell of a coach. Oregon is really good. I'm not surprised that they beat Texas Tech. I thought they would. It was a close game. Uh, but as you know, Texas is – they're going to have trouble with Texas Tech, I think. You know, that Joy McGuire's team is the best winless team uh, maybe in the country. I mean, they gave the Wyoming game away with a couple of uh, botched field goal opportunities and, uh, and really just kind of took the foot off the pedal after they got a nice lead playing a tough team on the road like that. Uh, and then they lost to Oregon, I think, a, a team that should be ranked in the top ten. The Pac-12's loaded, fellas. Uh, Utah seems to be just fine, thank you, without Cam Rising. Yep. When they get him back, you know, look out. And Wazoo, with the Incarnate Word quarterback of yesteryear, uh, is doing just fine as well, uh, Cam Ward. So there are a lot of t- – and Washington, I haven't even mentioned Pennix. He's going to scorch Michigan State this weekend. I mean, that league is – it's incredible to think that the story of the college football season to this point is Colorado. Yep. Right. That's Enumero uno. And then what, what, what would follow Colorado? I would suggest the entire pack 12 in a season when it's folding there, they are challenging the sec as potentially the best league top to bottom in America right now. I think the big 12 is still, still very, uh, uh, stable and I think it's in good shape, but they've dropped some tough games here in the early going. And, um, it's going to be a great race, I think. But uh, right now, the Pac-12 is lights out. I mean, they really are.
0: Yeah, Tech and Baylor blew a tire the first week. It's Baylor's loss, and yep. then, of course, had a chance, both of them, but they didn't handle it. They just got to win games like that. Tim, you mentioned Colorado, you the numbers, Fox, the, the the noon kickoff, I think, third <laughs> consecutive week, the numbers they put up uh, in the game with TCU, the numbers against Nebraska, it is, it's phenomenal. A lot of people doubted Dion. I didn't know what they would do. I didn't know if they'd go three and nine or they'd go six and six. But my goodness, what a story.
1: Yeah, it is. And it, uh, I've heard some of these rumblings, and I know you guys have too. Uh, and all you have to do is watch the, uh, the analysts, the pundits on, on television on Saturdays, especially the old coaches, right? Yeah. They're the ones that are really doubting. Okay, Urban. Okay, Urban really is doubting. Uh, Dan Mullen, his old uh, compatriot, you know, from Mississippi State in Florida, now working over at ESPN, doubting. You know, a lot of guys, they're just saying, you know, you could tell that he's ruffling some feathers of some veteran coaches because he's making it look easy. <laughs> I mean, it's not easy. We all know that. Uh, and the schedule will get tougher, no question. Uh, in defense of TCU, I think anyone that would have played Colorado week one without any film, without any knowledge of what, uh, Sean, uh, Sean Lewis, their offensive coordinator was going to run. And by the way, he is an unsung star oh, yeah. coach in this scenario. He, uh, we got to meet him when, uh, Kent state played, uh, Penn state a few years back. And he's, uh, he's, he's up there. He's, a uh, he's one of those real sharp young offensive minds, would remind you a little bit of the Texas tech OC uh, and play caller that came over from Incarnate word. Uh, I I think, I think these guys are really, really sharp cutting it, doing cutting edge stuff, you know? And, uh, but Dion is, is saying and talking and walking to his own walk and talk. And he's backing it up just as he did as a player, just as he did as a player. And uh, I do think they're going to get six wins. I do. They'll, they'll get this one against Colorado State. That'll get them to three. Now, the, the gauntlet will be difficult, okay? I mean, they, going to Oregon, uh, UCLA, the Utah, USC, these are tough teams that are down the pike on their schedule, and some of those games are road games. I think the Oregon game will be the first one on the road, uh, not this Saturday, but next. And after that, I think that uh, – He'll he'll get a bigger dose of what lies ahead. the The depth factor, I think, will work against Colorado over the long haul, and probably bring them down at or maybe just above five hundred. But hell, given that the, what we knew about Colorado and all of the doubting Thomases that were out there, uh, I think if he goes six and six or better, he ought to be national coach of the year. I agree. I mean, he should. Yeah, yeah. And and frankly, would have will have earned it. But you, uh, you, you can hear now the buzz. And so what are the Doubting Thomas is saying now? And you can see them on daytime cable right now. They're on those crap shows like First Take and uh, the ones we have. I mean, first things you, you name, you name those embrace debate shows that I don't like. All of them. What are they saying now? Oh, he'll leave after two years. Right. Oh, he's gone. He's going to go to the NFL. I guarantee you once these kids are gone, Dion's gone. It's like the denial is just incredible. Uh, I, I don't see that at all. I see Dion as a guy that wants to make history. I got to know him pretty well when we were at CBS together. He was working on the NFL today. Spencer and I were together on the college football today. We went to dinner a couple of times. He's, uh, he's genuine. You, you may think his bravado, the whole coach prime thing, is an overdrive and that he sucks all the energy out of a room. Um, and maybe he does, but that's not his fault. You know, the media plays into that and it's, and, and they just pile on and go for the ride. And I know it alienates and polarizes a lot of fans to some extent, but uh, Dion is, he's just being who he is and whether you like it or you don't, every reaction is going to be about 10 times what a reaction would normally be. So if you love him, you love him hard. If you hate him, you can't stand him and you won't stop talking about it. Um, but to think that this guy doesn't know what he's doing or that he doesn't motivate and have all of his new players and they're all new uh, buying in, you're out of your mind. If you don't think so, he, he has a, a an evangelical quality about him that uh, the players really identify with. And once you get to know him and you understand yeah, the bling and the and the bravado, the whole prime deal. Once you cut beneath all that, you'll see there's a great deal of substance. Uh, he, he's a man of tremendous substance, too.
2: My response to anybody who says he's going to leave in two years and go to the NFL would be, "So, I he's mean, he's already said he doesn't want he to go about, to the NFL." I mean, like, yeah. okay. So, yeah. so, so that decision comes in a couple of years, and he goes to the NFL or
1: another program. That's coaching. Right. That's like how the yeah. whole profession works. Yeah. Yeah, and it's almost like uh, we're, we're going to hold it against him more than we do anybody else. Yeah. Okay. I mean, there's some. Listen, I've got family uh, in Jackson. My my son-in-law, believe it or not, this is true. I don't. You, no, I don't think anybody knows this story. Uh, on the uh, barstool, when Dion, and that's the other thing. He's 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 utilizing the internet, social media so well. While he was at Jackson State, they got all this pub they being the institution, from his show on Barstool. And in one of those shows, you recall he was getting his his um, surgery done. Uh, and that surgery, when they were basically amputating about half of his foot, the foot that had the bad, uh, the turf toe that only got worse and worse and worse. Um, but they had to make sure that they cleaned up that, that foot. Um, my son-in-law is a plastic surgeon and he was on duty and was actually the guy that was dressing up no kidding. Uh, his foot. Yeah. They kept it very quiet uh, because they didn't, uh, the, the, the hospital at university of uh, Mississippi medical center, UMC in Jackson, they, they, everything was done. He got in through the back. He had an alias. No one knew except uh, the, the ones that really mattered that, that Dion was actually in the hospital. But in the uh, in the video, I could overhear my my son-in-law, John uh, Sullivan, who was actually doing that work, and uh, he got to know him really well. And Dion was so good to all those people, and I, he didn't learn anything that I didn't already know. But um, in fact, I know I'm pretty sure Dion does not know that was my son-in-law. If I ever see him, I'll be able to tell him. I look forward to that day when it happens. But uh, he he's uh, he's a really good guy. And, uh, to know him is to understand that. And, but with that, you know, it's like uh, anybody else that, uh, has a high opinion of themselves. A lot of people just aren't going to like that. He loves what he does. He's damn good at it. And some people can't stand other people having success. And he just loves that. (laughs) He just loves that.
3: That's a great point. That's a great point. Craig, Tim, I hate to go from such a good coaching story to one that's not so good, but I don't know when else to, to ask you here. Uh, because you've already given us so much of your time, what are your thoughts on Ooh. Mel Tucker and Michigan State and what's unfolded right. there here over these past few days?
1: Well, as you know, we were there a couple of weeks ago, yeah. week one. Spencer and I did that Friday game. I think I talked to you guys right before we went. Remembering serves me that might have been the last time yep. we spoke. Uh, um, Mel, a lot like uh, a lot like Dion in one way, completely different in terms of his personality, but. In one way, he's a great leader. You know, full disclosure, I like him. Uh, great leader of young men, stoic in approach, but still um, able to get the most out of the players that he brings in. It's one of the reasons why he did so well in the portal. Uh, got the Walker kid from Wake Forest and rode him to an 11-win season. And then getting that new contract worth $9.5 million a year. Uh, but last year was tough. And now, you know, you see what happened. Uh, And in the aftermath of just having been there uh, and spoken to him preparatory to the game, it's really hard for me to fathom that he could have known what all had gone down through an investigation that had wrapped up on July 25th, or I believe that was the date, that the school had uh, hired someone outside as they always do to conduct the investigation that he had admitted to all the things he admitted to, which I found when I was reading it, guys, stunning, absolutely stunning because just the admission itself of a a coach that is a leader of men with all that responsibility um, to admit to that in print and then to hear it. I mean, I, I, I cannot imagine, and this is just my opinion. I cannot imagine that he'll ever coach there again. I mean, that's just my opinion. Yeah, I, right. I don't see it happening. But when you see the and you and you read through it all and you get all that information, uh, the the uh, the advocate or um, activist, if you will, uh, for for rape victims, who was hired not only there but everywhere. Okay, right. she. This is a young lady that gets $10,000 from a school, goes in, speaks, and literally does it all across the country. And she was a victim uh, in a story from years ago at Oregon State, where multiple players uh, allegedly gang raped her. Uh, for, For all of the conversation that went back and forth between those two, which I'm sure rang very similar to what you guys were hearing years ago, Uh, There in Waco, some of this story does remind us of a very dark uh, period there at Baylor. But nothing is stunning individually on a domestic front with a coach who admittedly is married, but is estranged from his wife and his kids. I've never seen anything this bizarre, but I would also suggest based on her story and his that uh, it doesn't add up from her point of view either. And then what makes it worse is that the school, upon finding out and and going about the business of having an independent counsel come in and do this investigation, they know all this, and yet it was kept private and they would not have addressed it had not someone leaked it to USA Today. So they were willing to wait, actually schedule a quote unquote hearing the week of an open date in October. The school this is a school that just went through all kinds of post larry nasser crap that you know was, was was well documented everyone around not just the uh the college world but through the nation was aware of what happened with with this guy and with what happened at michigan state as a result and some of the people that were in the university system that were powerful from that period that were able to hold on to their job that survived that period are still there. And yet they decided to, to keep this under wraps until they got to an open date. I mean, (laughs) I mean, that's just bizarre to me. So I believe everyone here looks horrible. Yep. Everyone here looks uh, culpable, horrible and lacking leadership. It's just one of those incredibly bad stories that we see too often in intercollegiate athletics now where on every front, the coach, the, 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 the quote-unquote advocate or uh, plaintiff in this case, right, she'll be the plaintiff. So the defendant, the coach, the plaintiff, the activist, and the university look equally bad. Now, my question is going to be exactly what, what is, what's in that morals clause at Michigan State, because I don't know that a crime here has been committed based on what we've read, but with a morals clause, you don't have to commit a crime. You just have to embarrass the university according to the verbiage that's within the contract. So that's where I feel he, he'll never coach there again. But whether Michigan State can get away with firing him for cause and, and not having to pay any of that uh, $75, 76000000 million that's left on his contract. I'm not so sure about that. Tim, they may can, have to strike some sort of a chord. Can you uh, give me about us
0: another five minutes or so? I do a little rap, rapid fire from some questions from our chat room. Sure. Sure. Who, absolutely. Who are the absolutely. top? Obviously, Texas right now is at the top of the Big 12 based on the win at Alabama. But who would you say would be second right now? Would it be Kansas State or somebody else?
1: In the Big 12, I'm going to say right now, Kansas State, yeah. Now, okay. we'll find out a lot more about them at Missouri this week, okay, because Mizzou has not been uh, terribly impressive at home, uh, barely winning against inferior competition, and uh, Drinkwitz needs to get a big win, and here, here's Kansas State, a ranked team, coming in to play them. This is a game that might, you know, solidify uh, his his future as a coach at Missouri. So – This is a quality, I think that the talent level at Missouri is pretty good. They return a lot of players, and they've recruited obviously very well with that new Missouri law that they've got in play. They've gotten some big-time talent. This is kind of a game that he can hang his hat on a little bit moving into the SEC season. But yeah, I'd say probably uh, Kansas State. I still believe Texas Tech has got uh, a lot of juice for the remainder of this season. You guys would have to tell me more about Baylor than I know I hate that Shapin's been in and out we can't but but I but and I also think TCU uh, look anybody was going to look bad against Colorado in their first game nobody had any film uh, I can't imagine that their defense is going to stay this bad for this long and again they've got a an offense that's incredible and I think that they can still turn it on and have a very good year and uh, whatever Oklahoma State is is overlooked. They seemingly surprise people. So maybe Mike Gundy's got something going up, going on that we're we're not privy to. But yeah, right now I'd say K State. Well, speaking is of Oklahoma, the, the, the stiffest challenge.
0: Speaking of Oklahoma State, Phil in Oklahoma City saying, "Can you ask him to go call Mike Gundy, give him advice on who should be their quarterback number
1: one?" <laughs> hey, well, no, I don't think Mike. They, <laughs> I don't think Mike would listen to me, but. Um, But at least he's got to go with somebody other than Spencer Sanders, right? He's uh, holding the clipboard at Ole Miss right now. Uh, Well, that's a good question about them. Uh, But again, I'll say this. Oklahoma State fans uh, expect to win, but I don't think that the pressure has ever really applied for them to have to win. And when that's the case, and for many years now, when, when the expectations have been high for Oklahoma State, they've fallen a little short, you know, like the year Baylor beat them in the big 12 title game. Yep. That was the year you thought, you know what? They should do it here. Uh, and about every eight years or so, seven, eight years during Gundy's uh, regime, he's had shots at the biggest win ever at, at, Oklahoma state. But when you overlook him, and you're thinking, no, they're not going to be as much of a factor and listen, count me in. I was overlooking Oklahoma state to some extent, this year, you know, in preseason, I was talking Baylor, TCU, Kansas State, Texas, um, not not Oklahoma State. Um, so look out. They might be one of those uh, sleeper teams out there.
0: All right, from Roger the Dodger, with seven different USC scorers in, scoring in the first half players, were you worried you would run out of lo- uh, of cool nicknames for the guys who were scoring? Okay, you, you see this? This is the,
1: my... <laughs> There was my depth chart.
3: Wow.
1: Let's just say I was <laughs> I was running out of. I was like, wait, "Wait a minute, do I have them on this side? No, maybe I have to go to this side." That's great. It, it was. It looked like an F paper. My board. Uh, <laughs> they they went four or five four or five guys deep at just about every position. Uh, listen, I'm telling you that if the Trojans defense uh, shows up and plays uh, at a high level again against Arizona State, then I'm going to be Really interested in how they match up when they get on the field with teams like Oregon and uh, and other programs that I think are strong in the Pac-12. That uh, you know Utah's had their number, and Utah's still pretty good without Cam Rising. So that'll be a fun game to watch. That that's the one defense that seems to have solved USC somewhat, and I think the reason is their their coordinator Morgan Scalley is a great uh, defensive coordinator. Uh, but but uh, USC to me is is right up there with Texas in terms of making my preseason prognostications look pretty weak. They they're they're the goods. They're really good. Tim had to have that flip card just
2: right there God, to pull love, up and yeah. look at the roster. All right, eighty one. Boom. That's who that is. Yeah, that one. Yeah. That yeah. one. That was the nightmare we've all <laughs> gone through, Tim. Uh, I want to ask you about your opinion on Dabo Sweeney and the heat he got after the Clemson game. Uh, in that in this modern era he is not he is he is dying on the hill of he's gonna do it his way which much yeah. respect to him if it works, the problem is is that everyone else around you could not like it either but they're doing it. Has he put Clemson behind the eight ball? a
1: little bit a mm-hmm. little, little bit he's been hard-headed mm-hmm. about the portal really hard-headed which is a shame because that's not the Dabo, Dabo Sweeney eye I remember who was all shucks. Let's go get us some boys. Mm -hmm. You know, when he took over for Tommy Bowden and uh, you know, he created a culture of fun for football. You know, when they built that new facility at Clemson, I remember going there after uh, the year uh, Deshaun Watson turned the tables and got that win on that little uh, pick to play to Renfro uh, in the national championship. Of course that was, two years before they blew out Alabama uh, and got their second title. Um, But, but that's the thing, you know, he, he built uh, a culture of fun and I thought his recruiting was thriving as a result of that. Okay. He, he put a wiffle ball uh, facility outside for his team, uh, put a basically a Chuck E cheese uh, in the, in the facility for his team. Uh, And a barbershop, but all kinds of a sleeper, all these things uh, to combat Nick Saban's Niagara Falls that he had put in uh, at Alabama. And I remember going and spending time with him, and I'm like, who wouldn't want to play football? What what youngster wouldn't want to come here and play football at Clemson? Well, times have changed now. Okay. You can take great credit for bringing in super recruits. And, and yeah, and a lot of other teams can do that too. But in today's era of the transfer portal, there are going to be some areas where you lose some guys at positions where you need immediate help. And no matter how good of a job you've done, you can be top 10 in recruiting top 15, which is pretty much where they've been uh, the last few years after those runs of the top recruiting class or top three or four but there are going to be places where you need instant help through the portal. And by not going there, he's really hurt his team. And where did it show up first? I thought it showed up first at quarterback. I mean, it showed up first there. Um, And basically let me just say this Saban who looked a lot more like a guy that would adapt and shelve some of his o line thinking This year, for whatever reason, I don't know if he got pissed off because allegedly uh, or reportedly, uh, Drake may turn down $2 million in NIL money uh, to stay at North Carolina. Uh, He didn't recruit anybody before the spring to come in the portal as a quarterback. And that's why he wound up with Buckner, the kid that couldn't start at Notre Dame as his lone get to come in and compete with Milrow and and Simpson, who – You know we're probably going to see all those guys play. So Sabin has been less hard-headed, but I think his team is suffering though because of some mistakes by not going to the portal sooner that he made. But Dabo's just—he's playing the role of Kirby Smart, saying my program's so good, I don't need anyone from the transfer portal. Well, you're—you know—you're gonna—you want to die on that vine? Go right ahead. But people are passing you by, Notre Dame got Hartman, and I think they're capable of beating Ohio State next week. Okay, Sam Hartman could be the difference in Notre Dame beating Ohio State, who's struggling right now at quarterback uh, in that game that they play at Notre Dame a week from Saturday. Um, Imagine if Hartman had gone to Alabama or to Clemson rather than Notre Dame. These coaches that say one thing, and that's been the deal for me with Saban. Saban will tell you he's all for the NIL all for the transfer portal, but this year, for the first time, he's 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 been. Uh, you know, he's saying one thing, but you can tell with his body language, he doesn't like it. He's pissed off. He's not happy. Uh, well, he he probably should look in the mirror and find the enemy. It's him. Should have gotten a better quarterback, Nick. How could you not have an elite quarterback? And and I would say the same thing to Davo that I'm saying to Nick. How can you have a program that had the, the guys that you had? during those championship runs and not have a quarterback, uh, especially after you let one of them head to Oregon state. I, and he, he actually, uh, I mean, he looks like he might take Jonathan Smith to the playoffs.
3: Yeah, <laughs> He
1: didn't quite get that done at Clemson. So anyway, I, I, I think Dabo uh, is, is hurting himself and I think Nick is hurting himself. Slow to change to the changing times. And as I said before about some of these old coaches that are, uh t- you know, kind of throwing some dirt or some cold water on, on Dion's accomplishments. Um, you better, you better go, go grab that, that uh, sailboat before it gets out to sea <laughs> and bring it back into dock and start rethinking things because once it gets out there and players know that you're not looking uh, to go to the portal at any point in time, they're going to dismiss you. Tim, yeah, they're going to uh, dismiss you. And D- guys like Dion are going to flourish.
3: Absolutely, uh, Tim. It's kind of a lighter schedule as far as the marquee games go. I mean, there's a couple, but it's obviously going to ramp up in a major way next week. But what are your thoughts on Tennessee, Florida? One of the the you know great rivalries, a uh, big SEC game. But Florida, obviously, not quite up to to where Tennessee is at the moment. But does, what are your your thoughts on this game and, and this matchup in particular?
1: Well, let's just begin by saying. The SEC right now doesn't look like it's all that. How about that? Yeah. Because in past years, in past years, a Tennessee-Florida game, even if both teams were just okay, that rivalry and the history of that rivalry would be such that that game would be getting all kinds of pregame buzz, all kinds of pregame buzz, and it's getting very little, okay? All they can talk about right now in the SEC is – what the hell happened to Alabama? Well, that's all they can talk about. And uh, it, Georgia, because of their weak-ass schedule, excuse me, but it is weak, <laughs> right? Um, they, they, they're, they're like a non-entity in college football. No one's following Georgia because we, we haven't had a reason to follow them. They haven't played anybody. I mean, they're going to play South Carolina. I'm might you know, Right now, I'd say the Georgia-South Carolina game has almost as bu- as much buzz as uh, as Tennessee, Florida. And that's never been the case in the past. So that's the thing that jumps out at me about Tennessee and Florida. Um, Joe Milton, in my opinion, is not Hendon Hooker. I think this is a great opportunity for Florida. Uh, and and I like their coach. I know the Gator fans don't like him. I like him. Uh, I think there's a chance that the Gators might uh, get off the Stein in this uh, rivalry and and make a return, but the thing that just jumps out at me is how little buzz there is about this game that, of course, for years decided the East, and it was always played early. You know, that game historically was always played early. You got more conversation about the way it used to be with you can't spell citrus without UT, can you? You know, you can't. That's that's what you're hearing conversation about, not about, uh, you know, what's going down with these two coaches and their teams right now. It's more of a, uh, let's go back in time and remember the good old days with uh, Steve Superior and Fat Phil. You know, Owens- <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's, that's, what you're, that's what you're hearing. And I, I have great respect for Philip Fulmer and for Steve Superior, but uh, the, the currency of college football uh, in the SEC has taken a dip. Uh, I'm not willing to say that they're not the best. I think, still think the SEC is the best but but ask me in a couple of weeks because they're teetering okay the the crowd the crowd may be slipping a little bit because right now the the Pac-12 is uh, is impressing listen arizona almost beat mississippi state and that would have made that lead 20 and 0
0: mm,
1: they, okay they... 20 and 0 at the at the outset cal almost beat auburn okay took a late touchdown for auburn to win so uh, the times they are changing and it's cyclical. And uh, if, if, you know, I, 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 no one wants to talk about anything except Saban right now. You know, oh my God, it's passing by. No, it hasn't passed him by. It's just in the cycle. He's kind of going back in time. He's trying to win the way he won with McElroy at quarterback. Okay. You can't do that anymore. Okay. You, you got to score. Uh, Kiffin's gone. Sark is gone. And his offensive coordinator is running an offense with a running quarterback that doesn't appear like it's built for a running quarterback. So, you know, after a while, once you've lost that many coordinators over a long period of time, two things happen. One, uh, you you lose consistency and stability. And two, you stop developing players. I think Alabama is not developing its talent the way it once
0: did. And some of them, because they've lost players that they would have been able to do that with, they're moving on to other people. Tim, one broadcast question, and I know we have taken too damn much of your time. Somebody asked, what's (laughs) it like to hear CBS or watch CBS? You were there for a long time broadcasting the Big Ten and the Stinger, that da-na-na-na, (laughs) na-na-na-na, and and now the change with that broadcast.
1: You know, uh, look, that music, believe it or not, a little history on that music. That music was first used for a Super Bowl. The first one between the Cincinnati Bengals and the San Francisco 49ers played back in, what would that have been? Kenny Anderson was quarterbacking the Bengals. And, of course, Montana, I sure that might have been. Yeah, yeah, yeah it was. That, was. that was used for that Super Bowl in Pontiac, Michigan, uh, the old Silverdome, when those two teams played. What, what number Super Bowl that is escapes me for the moment. But that's where that music originally played, it was on a Super Bowl game. And then it moved over to the CFA on CBS when Brett Musburger was doing the games. And uh, I remember very well the first time I got to call a CBS game and I heard that music underneath me, how excited oh, I got, golly. how thrilled I was to be, you know, to have my voice over that music uh it brings back memories, obviously, of Vern and his great calls to everyone nationally. But just as a broadcaster, it meant so much to me to be able to have my voice at one point coming over that uh, incredible music. I still think it's the best sports music for a selected sport. I agree. Seen on a regular basis in all of sports. I don't think any music has ever been any better than that particular music piece that you're talking about. And uh, so it it may be new to a lot of the audience in the Big Ten that's accustomed to it in the SEC, but trust me, it's made the rounds for many years before. You know, during basketball season, we, at Fox, we played that old um, uh, John Tesh theme music that NBC used on the NBA back in the 90s. And a lot of people are like, yeah, yeah, and... uh, I love that music for basketball. I just, I just think it fits. You know, I really do. But um, it's, it, trust me, it, it, get ready because uh, uh, CBS is going to have nothing but Big Ten next year. They still have the SEC uh, for some of this season. Right. But next year will be uh, all Big Ten all the time from noon until midnight.
0: <laughs> Tim, greatness. We appreciate it. Next week I'm going to ask you about with your broadcast schedule, how often do you actually get to watch games? Around the country? Is that something you just get different feeds? We'll do that next week if you don't mind. Thank yeah. you so much for yeah, your time. Good luck with Houston and also TCU, and I'll be in touch about what we can do for next week. And thank you so much.
1: Okay, David. Great to Appreciate be with all of you. It. Tim
0: Brando, Fox Sports with us on 365 Sport.